Episode 4! <laughs> Previously on Corkout History. On the last episode, we had a quick overview of Zaida's story, the more princess that likely married Afonso VI of Castile on the first decade of 1000. It's there of spring that forces two other guys to make a pact, and we'll talk about those two today. Oh, and we also mentioned how Zaida is related to both the Prophet Mohammed and Queen Elizabeth II? Yes, you'll need to go and listen to that. But now, on to Henry and Raymond. Oh, and Portugal. Welcome to another episode of Corkout History. Where we drink Portuguese wine. And we talk about Portuguese history. Mostly the wine. My name is André. And I'm Inês. Uh, welcome to Corkout History. We are... Now officially out of the Zyder rabbit hole. And on to the two guys that we mentioned in Zyder's rabbit hole. We've mentioned them a couple of times, so it's time to drop their names. Their names are, well, originally, I guess they are French, so it would be something like Henri and... I don't know. I don't know how you would say the next one, actually. How would you say? Ramon? Raymond. <laughs> oh no, that sounds like ham in Spanish. <laughs> oh, Ramon. No, 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 no. Ramon. <laughs> so, Enrique, uh, Enrique and Raimundo, Henry and Raymond, Henri or Raymond. Exactly. Uh, so, we have these two guys who were two cousins coming from Burgundy. Uh, as we've mentioned before, that's a region of modern France. We might reference them now maybe as Henry and Raymond, perhaps? Yeah, let's go with Henry and Raymond, just, just to keep it simple and yeah. Henry, our favorite, was born in Dijon in 1066, making him around 24 years old when he first came to the peninsula, and he was the youngest of three. During this period, the crusade spirit was fierce, and the Pope stated that crusading in the peninsula had the same value and prestige of crusading in the Holy Land, turning into a viable alternative to the Holy Land. The peninsula offered endless possibilities for those crusading here. The conquered lands and riches were all for the taking, and it was significantly closer to many living in Western Europe, for instance, in the territories of modern France, as is particularly relevant to our story. Yeah, so... They were nephews of Afonso's wife, Constance, and yeah, they were related to the abbot of Cluny. These two guys come to the peninsula with the ideas of fighting the Moors and triumph in life. And there's land to take, like, as we've mentioned before as well, these are all, well, they're not empty, but supposedly the enemy is there. Again, I'm doing inverted... Commas comments. again, she likes them, huh? Yeah. So uh, these lands are there, not really for the taken because they're occupied, but you know. Inez, in your notes, you actually have something here about how crusades might be the first materialization, the, the first coming into shape of some kind of European colonialism. And I am not entirely sure we don't want to go into that right now. Uh, yeah, I had it in my notes. Um, okay, at some stages during the 12th century, several Christian states coexist in the Middle East, like the county of Edessa, Antioquia, Tripoli and Jerusalem. 
this idea of um, these crusading states has the first uh, ideas of European colonialism has been brought forward extensively through the academic world with vast discussions being held on the subject which we are not going to dive in here. Not only because there seems to be no definite conclusion on the subject but also because honestly they turn really really fucking boring. Having said so there are a couple of points we should highlight. So the Romans and the Greeks had been doing colonies long before this when we mention a relation between the Crusades and European proto-colonialism, we are referring to the post-antiquity Europe identity, when at least part of the national identities of modern Europe start to form and part of the religious and social identities developed. In other words, feudal medieval Christian Europe. Second point is that we are referring to proto-colonialism, not fully-fledged colonialism that we would later see in the modern world. These are more Western outposts than exactly colonies, in the sense that there are no plantations or factories, for instance, and that their primary objective was not a commercial one, but to defend the land and to offer safe spaces for the Christians. That's not to say, although, that these were not extremely profitable outposts for the Western kingdoms and people involved in them. Were these crusader states of the Latin East comparable to 19th century British occupation in India? Not at all! We can find some superficial similarities, but the two were more different than alike. However, we can argue that the point here is not to find similarities between the two, but to show how colonialism can take different forms across time and space. Third point is that the four states of Latin Syria-Palestine, namely the Latin Kingdom of Jerusalem, the County of Edessa, the Principality of Antioch and the County of Tripoli, were governed by a small minority of Latin Christians and depended heavily on immigrants and pilgrims to maintain their hold over these lands and peoples. The Crusades were part of the efforts going into keeping these lands and simultaneously these lands were the results of these Crusades. Orders like the Templars and the Hospitallers were created as a means of providing a force for defense of the kingdom and the pilgrims. I propose that we look further into this matter when in some other season we take a look at the Templars and their importance in Portugal. For now, I think I should leave it as. Although very different, there are definitely some colonialist undertones to the whole venture, which would set the tones for later. This is, this is really interesting, Inesh, and um, I was just wondering, yeah, now that you've explained this, like these three things that we need to bear in mind, what, and I know we said we're not going to go too much into it, but I thought it would be nice to talk a bit about it. What do you personally think? Because in my mind, one of the questions that's, that uh, that comes up right away is like, is can we talk about colonialism before capitalist society is in place? Does it, can it come before that something with the same name? I think that if not, that if a capitalist society is not in place, there's definitely a mercantile society in place, for instance. And uh, these outposts become extremely important into bringing uh, all those market and profit into Europe through that. So even if it's not exactly what we would consider a capitalist society, there's definitely the mark, uh, the markets to consider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you yeah. You're right, and and my my other questions, my other question, and it's, it's starting to sound like an interview. But the other thing I would like to hear you on is whether 
you feel like colonialism in this or this kind of colonialist um, positions don't you think that the other another thing that we should at least consider is whether we can call it colonialism when there's not an occupation of the land or an extension of the territory as there will be in later periods they wouldn't call those places well Portugal or, or wherever you know what I'm saying as they, they do later on Fair. I think we are here we are always thinking about proto-colonialism and not colonialism like we're going to see later on um I also, another interesting point is that usually colonialism later on, for instance, is more related to particular nations than these posts are. These posts are connected to uh, Christianity and all the Western uh, potencies in the West and not to a particular country. Um, so w what I would say is exactly like what I mentioned before. I think we, we can look at it as like proto-colonialism and something that's going to lead us to where we will go in the future, but not exactly colonialism like we will see. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I think we'll we'll definitely stumble upon more of these discussions um, later on. So back to Henry and Raymond, shall we? So, as we were saying, we have these two cousins. They are very important in this story, if you still didn't gather that. You're missing out. Let's go on. <laughs> Henri, Henri, Raymond, 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 eh? Raymond uh, possibly Raymond. Ramon. Ramon. As the Spanish say, ham. Hey, we don't know. Any French person who wants to leave us a comment down below and tell us that, you're you very rhymed. welcome to. You rhyme. You rhyme there. Did you see that? I'm an MC, mate. You're an MC. I'm an MC. No, no, no. We don't know. I'm a fucking MC, alright? Yeah. Let's go on. Henry and Raymond, they're pretty crucial. Uh, as in, uh, spoiler alert, but Henry, he's the papa of our first king! Yes, he is! Yes, he is. I could give you another spoiler there, but I'm not going to. Or am I? He's the, f he's the papa of our first king. And he's the husband of the first Pope-approved Portuguese monarch in history. Dun, 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 dun. And only I, I dropped the mic there, but no one saw me. So, yeah, we're moving on. Anyway. Right. So... You, before all this, you were telling something about these two guys that you didn't finish. So what's, what's, what's on, what's going on with Henry and Raymond? Raymond marries Uraka. So Afonso VI, he marries his eldest legitimate daughter, marries Raymond, who was like the, you know, um, a little bit, uh, the biggest of the two cousins, mm -hmm. kind of. The biggest yeah. sounds weird, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Who was she the... married Ray Raymond. Raymond was the most important of the two. Um, yeah, he would yeah. have been the yeah. eldest, probably. Uh, probably the probably eldest, the eldest and, as well. Yeah, uh, I don't know. But... Richest, perhaps. Anyway, uh, he marries Raymond to Uhaka. He's 
eldest legitimate daughter. Say, do you remember Garcia, the poor fella who got like imprisoned by one brother, like tricked and imprisoned by the second brother, miserably died and he wanted, he was the emo of the group, he wanted to be buried in chains and uh, he was named as the first king of Portugal and Galicia. So he dies at this time. <laughs> <laughs> he li his life doesn't improve, he's dead. <laughs> Maybe it does. You know, sometimes death. Well, anyway, I'm not going there. <laughs> I'm not going there. Right. His life is extinct and he dies. And so the kingdom of Galicia well, not that it really mattered because no, it because didn't belong to prison. him anymore. Yeah, he was in yeah prison, right? I know. So, so True. anyway, I'm going to take this over now, Inish. And Afonso, <laughs> Afonso uh, gives the kingdom of Galicia to Raymond and Uraca uh, as a dowry for the marriage of uh, his daughter with this uh, French nobleman. Then... By this time, Galicia included the county of Portugale, which we've spoke about, and it extended far south to include even the cities of Santarém, which is in the center of Portugal, and Lisbon, which is the capital of Portugal, for those of you who might not be aware. Um, yeah, because curiously enough, although we're not really, we've decided to leave that out of the next episodes, but... Um, Lisbon, which is the capital of Portugal, and I'm going into my ads time. Now, cue the tourist attractions. It's lovely, and you folks should totally visit. Was actually conquered for, I think it was about two years. It was under the Christian rule, and then once again it was taken by the Almoravids. So, there we go. Again, this whole idea of going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It, it's also in this. It's also in this back and forth that it becomes clear that Raymond can't really handle all of this kingdom that he has by now. Well, not a kingdom, but all of this land that he has to rule over by now. He can't take it. So in 1096, Afonso actually separates the county of Portugal and offers this county to none other than Henry of Burgundy, who by this point had married Theresa, another daughter of Afonso. Yeah, so a bastard daughter. There's once again someone that has the control over the county of Portugale and only the county of Portugale in a way that didn't happen since... Exactly, since 23 years ago, since Pedro Mendes died in the Battle of Pedroso against Garcia, the emo brother, okay? The one buried in chains, very metal. So, so we now have, we have an independent county of Portugale, independent from Raymond. Yeah, exactly, independent from Galicia, so... They are not independent, okay? That's a big thing. They they are under the jurisdiction of Afonso Seisto. Sorry if I made it sound a bit more dramatic than it was, but yeah. It's really big though. Galicia and Portugale are separate. So yeah, it's a big thing. Now that Portugale, independent from Galicia, 
you know, the title gap between the two cousins decreases. So they're more on an equal stand. Not quite, because one is married to the legitimate daughter, even though there is the heir, the male heir, Sancho, son of Zaida. But he's married to the legitimate daughter, he has the biggest kingdom. However, Henry is married to another daughter, and he has an independent kingdom from Galicia. And he's facing the Moors, and he's doing a good job. Or the Almoravids, I should say. So, let's just rewind a bit. Zaida and Afonso had a son. The son is legitimized as King Afonso's heir. Heir. <laughs> it sounds like hair. Heir. Hair. So, by this point... If you were to be in Raymond and Harry's shoes, you'd see that now the... There is this kid. There is this kid who's not yourself, who's bound to take the fucking kingdom. And you're not happy, are you? No. So that's what makes uh, the ground for the succession pact. Succession... <laughs> For the succession pact. It is the year of 1105. And what is the succession pact? Is a secret treaty between Raymond and Harry, the cousins. Ooh. Uh, witnessed and validated by a Cluny priest. Where these two guys agreed to stand and support each other after the death of Afonso in their ambitions for the throne. Yeah, so here we are, some backdoor agreements, like, when the old man dies, we're gonna take this shit. And Raymond, of course, had the had most of it and had more, more importance in the pact, and, and Henry was the one that would support him in his pact, as long as he would keep his county. And this was all to avoid getting it in the hands of the kid that just showed up out of nowhere from illegitimate to legitimate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The half-Moorish kid, we're kicking him, like, to the curb. We are taking this. Henry, you support me. You get a third of the riches, plus this and that and that. And there we go. Bob's your uncle. This is their kingdom now. Yeah, and this also... Once again, let's, let's think of why we're mentioning this pact. Um, it's just because... <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the reason why we're talking about God this, knows, no, God no, knows why. At this don't point. listen to her. Don't listen to her. We the, 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 we the, haven't. No, we have no idea no, why we're talking about lie. this. That's a lie. That's a lie. Right now, the thing that made us talk about this is that's basically this is the highway to Portugal, people. <laughs> There's this guy that wants to have a kingdom and doesn't want to it to fall in the hands of this little kid. But this shit never happened. Why? I'm back with sausage rolls. Because after the pact is established... I mean, hmm? to clarify, the pact did happen. The pact did but happen, the but... The pact never came to be. No, it never came to be. There was no reason for it because uh, shortly after Raymond and Uraka had their first son, which would make things more complicated. 
then two years later, Raymond dies. And three years later, Sanshu, that legitimate heir, dies. So, hey, this is medieval time. Like, everyone's dead. Yay. So, that bastard son turned legitimate. He didn't make it and it broke his papa's heart. It's very tragic. Because then he had to rely on a daughter. What? Oh, mate, are you serious, girl? Afonso uh, had now no male hair, heirs. And the legitimate uh, daughter, Uraka, is to become his... Uh, uh, the... The queen! She is to become the fucking queen! Yes, there we go. Sorry, I had a pro- I have a problem with the, the word heir. Heir. The person that is entitled to someone's things. Yes. Can't really pronounce it. No, no, I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with with the word itself. Between, you know, the thing that grows from your skull to the person inheriting your things after you die. It's a bit tricky when you're Portuguese. But yeah, this now means that the pact... I think hair grows from your skull, doesn't it? (laughs) I'm going to ignore Ines now, but... This just means that the pact comes not doesn't the come heir. to fruition. To f- the the pact does come does not come to fruition, and we have a new geopolitical uh, order in place where there's this other woman and there's still Henry in the place. Um, Henry's not out of the picture. Raymond is because he dead. Um, <laughs> he he dead guy. <laughs> yeah, but. Um, now we have another another configuration here getting getting in 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 place, but what matters is that this pact led and 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 set the way for for a, a defined sharing of powers and and of Galicia separated from the county of Portugale. So we do have someone we should pay a bit more attention to right now, and that person is Uraka. Uh, we've mentioned her a few times. But why, why? what's going on with her, Inish? And so we are into the mini rabbit hole into Raka's life. Rabbit hole! Rabbit hole. First of all, how cool is it that she was called Uraka the Reckless? I mean, that's awesome, right? Like, if I have a nickname, I want it to be Uraka... Well, not Uraka, but I want it to be the Reckless. That's pretty badass. So... First of all, starting from the beginning, she was the only surviving child of Constance and Afonso. I mean, they had five children. This is like, this is hardcore medieval times. Everyone fucking dies. So she was the only one that survived. And she was a child bride at eight years old. Hopefully, I mean, she was probably only engaged and the marriage would only be consummated later. We hope so. These are terrible times and we... We are sure it had been consummated by the time she was 14 as we have records of a stillbirth at that age. Again, fucking tragic. She would then have another two successful births. A girl called Sancha and a boy called Afonso. Her husband Raymond dies in 1107 and when a year after Afonso's heir... Sancho dies, she becomes once again the heir to the kingdom. Against her papa's wishes, but well, the kid is dead. 
the nobility accepts Uraka as queen, but insists that she marries again. Shocker, right? The chosen husband to be Afonso I of Navarre and Aragon. The wedding negotiations had not been finalized yet when her father dies and she becomes queen. So I don't really get it, but Uraka makes it known that she's not into the marriage, but that she will go forth with it in honor of her father's wishes. I mean, blows my mind a little bit, but okay. The nobility is on one hand afraid that Afonso will be too bossy and that they'll be forced to yield too much power to him, but is also fearful that if not him, then Don Enrique, our uh, Henry, will be too powerful and so the wedding goes forth. Immediately after the wedding, the revolt starts in Galicia. These were motivated by Dona Teresa and Henry, our people. At this time, two factions form in Galicia, around Uraca's son, Afonso. One wants to see Afonso as the heir to the throne after Uraca. They want Afonso and not some possible future son she might come to have with her new husband. The other one, they want Afonso as the king of independent Galicia. Now, one of the most powerful families in Galicia, and who were behind one of these factions, is a noble family called Trava. They want the kid Afonso as heir to the whole kingdom, but they are defeated by Afonso I, who is Uraka's new husband. I know this gets extremely confusing because everyone has the same fucking names. In the meantime, Uraka and Afonso, they fucking can't stand one another. And this ends up in Uraka filing for divorce on the grounds of domestic violence. So again, shitty fucking times everyone. Now, when it's kings and queens getting divorces, things turn ugly pretty often. So this divorce, tada, ends up in civil war. Henry, he's supporting Uraka's husband, at least for a while. Um, and once peace is achieved, there is a redistribution of lands. And Henry and Teresa end up with some pretty nice bits. Now, later, Dona Teresa will be scheming to replace Uraka by her son, but will be convinced out of it when her sister gives her some more land. So basically, Don Enrique and Dona Teresa, they're just scheming and creating trouble everywhere, they're changing sides constantly, and they're just playing the game and whatever gets them more lands. I, I like to think that, like... They're alright, but they want more. So you know, they're not they're not really settled. They don't mind starting some shit and they want to, you know, improve their own in life. And um I'm not sure how this reflected in all their personal lives and so on. As we can't be sure. I kinda dig them. Well, first of all they started our country. And uh yeah, I like to look at them as this uh power couple who weren't really like taking no shit and starting like we just feel like being difficult now and being a little bit nasty and we want a little bit more than what we have. In the end, Uhaka managed to earn back her territories to pass them on to her son at, upon her death. So here we are everyone! She becomes queen, she marries this guy, it goes terribly, she divorces him, she goes on through a lot of shit and in the end she wins all her lands back and she passes them on to her son. The story of a pretty badass woman, Uhaka the Reckless. And this is where we'll stop for now. Stick with us and join us in the next episode of Cork Out History in two weeks. 
Until then, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Corkout History Pod and on Twitter at Corkout History, where you can reach out to us, let us know your thoughts, and discover more about the upcoming episodes. Don't forget to rate and subscribe wherever you're listening to us. Your comments are crucial so that more people can find us. Bye! Bye.